I want to say another welcome to you. My name is Justin. I'm one of the pastors here at Christ City. John Kaufmill is going to be reading the scripture for this week, and so here he is. Please stand as you are able to reverence the reading of God's word. Today's reading is from Acts 8 and Acts 16. Acts 8, beginning in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means Queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to the chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading? Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went, out, but went on his way rejoicing. Acts 16, beginning in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gates to the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay in my house. And she persuaded us. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good morning, Christ City Church family. I hope uh, that you all are doing well and experiencing God's grace and his goodness. I pray that you all are keeping safe. I pray that you continue to check in on each other and encourage one another as we move into the summer months. I pray that you continue to be salt and light in your neighborhoods and in your city. I pray that you don't grow weary in well-doing, remembering that in due season there will be a harvest if we don't give up. Uh, I want to just jump into the message. I want to share with you a story. A few weeks ago, Lisa and I had the chance to get out of the city for a few days. Uh, We were getting a bit of cabin fever. We needed a a little road trip to clear the cobwebs. Uh, We found a retreat center a few hours outside of D.C. in the Virginia mountains. The cabin, it was nestled in a forest on the side of a hill overlooking a large mountain lake. Now, in order to get to this place, we had to drive through this windy, densely forested dirt road. And there was this canopy of trees that was surrounding the road and it, it just blocked out the sky and initially it gave the drive a feeling of adventure 
Uh, but after a while, the road it just sort of wound on and on, and, it, and it, for me, it began to felt a bit confining and confusing. We weren't able to see the horizon. Couldn't see the sun, even though it was four in the afternoon, we could only see the shadows the sun made through the trees onto the forest floor. Couldn't see the sky or the clouds. And consequently, much of the last leg of the drive had had an overcast feel to it. Finally, on the, on the last turn of the drive, we crest a hill, we round a bend in the road, and the forest just opens up, and we found our cabin, and we could see the landscape surrounding us, as well as the part of the forest from which we had just emerged. I got a picture of what we saw. When we saw this, my heart just soared. I could, I could see the expansive hills and the emerging mountains of the Allegheny Highlands. I could see the snaking of the Jackson River that poured into Lake Mumon. I could see the stretches of vast forest, but this time it was the treetops I could see and the shine of the summer sun on the tops of the broad leaves of the hardwood forest that I was now in the nowhere middle of. And that view and that reality, that, that expanse, it left me with this feeling of awe. And I remember just standing on the deck of our cab and looking out at this each morning and simply shaking my head and whispering, yes, an affirmation of the beauty of a scene that was wider than my eyes and mind could take in. That often happens, I think, when we view expanses, when we catch a glimpse of the width and depth of a place, when we see an ocean or a mountain range or the Grand Canyon. But it's not always the expanses of a place, though. I think we can also be awed by the expanse of people. When we catch a glimpse of someone displaying a depth or breadth of which we were unaware, there are times when we hear stories of wisdom from our grandparents or our youngest nieces, and what they say and share and demonstrate leave us shaking our heads in awe and wonder and whispering just under our breath, yes an affirmation of the beauty and the scene that has unfolded in our hearing, and we find that it's more expansive than we can take in. In those moments, church family, I think that we capture a glimpse, of a flash of the expansive beauty and nature of God's kingdom, and we're invited more deeply into our citizenship of that kingdom. Over the past several weeks as a church, we've sought to better understand the expansive nature of God's kingdom. And we've considered together how this expansive quality of the kingdom will inform how we behave as a local church here in D.C. Each week, we've shared the prayer that this series would have an aligning effect, that it would help set Christ City's trajectory and orientation and posture in such a way that we might embody the radical welcome and inclusion of God's kingdom. We've looked at passages from the Gospels of Luke and John, and we've explored scenes in the book of Acts. And at each turn, we've considered Jesus' approach to inclusion. We've looked at how Jesus embraced those from different ethnic and political backgrounds. We've considered what it means to have a community where there's difference and disagreements and diversity. And we looked at how Jesus and Jesus' earliest followers embraced those that were historically understood as outside the community of faith. We will continue that task this morning as well. To finish out this ser series, I want to highlight a few short stories from Acts 8 and Acts 16. I want to lift them up, and in lifting up their story, I pray that we might catch a glimpse of the expanse of God's kingdom. I hope that, I, that in our reflection of these gospel stories, 
that we might find our awe and the truth that God's kingdom and God's embrace and God's rescue and salvation, that God's kingdom is wider and deeper and it's just bigger than we might have imagined or hoped to imagine. The first story and the first character that I want us to survey comes from Acts 8, and it's the passage that John read for us earlier. We drop into the story as Philip, one of the disciples of Jesus, is directed by an angel to begin walking south on the road from Jerusalem to Gaza. On his way, Philip encounters an Ethiopian person who has been in Jerusalem in order to worship at the temple, but is now returning to Ethiopia. In order to return home from Jerusalem, the Ethiopian man would have had to head south, passing through Gaza and eventually through Egypt and farther south into Africa. And there are a few things that the passage informs us of regarding this traveler. First, we learn that he's Ethiopian. He's from a, a people and uh, a nation, an ethnic group, and a geography that was viewed as outside of the covenant of God that God made with Israel. And the second thing that we learn is that he's a eunuch. A eunuch most commonly is a person that was born male, but typically prior to puberty had undergone castration. And when performed early in life, they would experience hormonal effects later in life, and those effects would affect their appearance and the shape of their bodies and their voices. Eunuchs in the ancient world, they were often assigned the task of assisting royalty. Because eunuchs could not have children of their own, they were not a threat to the king's dynasty as they wouldn't be able to establish their own dynasty through family lineage. However, um, it was this same status that made eunuchs vulnerable to violence. Eunuchs could be killed without repercussion in the ancient world because they had no sons to avenge their name. And as theologian Claire Davidson Frederick points out, because of their gendered circumstance, they were seen as completely other, and Israel viewed them as spiritually unclean. The eunuch in our story served Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. He was the treasurer during one of the most prosperous times in the ancient history of the kingdom of Cush, which lay just south of Egypt uh, in and around modern Ethiopia. Apparently, he had um, made the long uh, pilgrimage up to the Nile, across Egypt, passing Gaza, having traversed both wilderness and desert in order to arrive at the temple in Jerusalem so that he might worship the Lord. And after having made this journey, a journey that would have cost him a small fortune, and one at which his life may have been at hazard at different points, the Ethiopian eunuch would have been met with the reality that as a Gentile eunuch, he could only enter the outermost parts of the temple. He would only have been allowed to enter the Gentile court. He would have seen the sign that indicated that he could go no farther, and to do so would cost him his life. He would have been met with the dividing wall of hostility, a reality that we touched on a few weeks ago in our series in Ephesians. Yet after having worshipped, he begins to then reverse course and make his way back home. But he has with him a scroll of the book of the prophet Isaiah, and he's reading it, an indication that this man is seeking hard after God. And this is where Philip the apostle intersects the man. Philip notices this man. He notices his, his royal robes, his black skin, as he, and he overhears him reading the scriptures. Philip would have certainly understood that this man... Had, he was viewed as the other. He had outsider status. He, he was viewed as outside of uh, uh, the religious people of the day's community. Philip would have known all that the eunuch had encountered at the temple in Jerusalem. He would have known of the rejection and the threats of violence. Philip would have known that this man, this one created in God's image, 
Philip would have known that he would have experienced the bitterness of exclusion. And yet Philip, compelled by the Spirit of God, goes to him. Philip helps him understand what he's reading and how the passage from Isaiah points to Jesus and hope that's found in him. What strikes me uh, in this story is, is verse 29. The Spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. That's the way the verse reads in the NIV, which we've read from. But I, I don't think that that translation adequately captures the full sense of what the Spirit is telling Philip to do. The word in Greek that's used for stay near in this English translation is kolethetai, and it means to join or to glue. The Spirit is saying to Philip, go to this person. Though rejected at the temple, though rejected by his family, though uh, at the risk of being rejected by all of those who know him, this dear one who has tasted exclusion at every turn, Philip, I want you to go to him and I want you to join him. I want you to be glued to him and don't leave him. And I think the reason is because Philip is about to clarify the echoes of Isaiah of who Jesus is for this man. But more than simply explaining to the Ethiopian who Jesus is, it seems important to the Spirit of God that Philip show him. And that required presence. It required embrace. It required a display of the gospel that says to those that have experienced exclusion, now because of what Christ has done, you gain inclusion. As Ephesians would say, In Ephesians 2.13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far have been brought near by the blood of Christ. And so Philip sits with the eunuch. And verse 35 says, Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. And moments later, the eunuch places his faith in Jesus and Philip immediately baptizes him. And in those moments, the eunuch from Ethiopia, he catches a glimpse of the expansive, embracing love of God that is the hallmark of God's kingdom. And from this moment forward, This this man, this eunuch, is now part of God's family. Where there was once rejection, there's now embrace. Where there was once exclusion, there's now inclusion. Justin shared a couple of weeks ago about the ways the Spirit has been leading the elders of Christ City Church regarding inclusion. He shared about our months-long journey towards a position that we describe as fully inclusive. That is to say, fully inclusive of all of us. That all are welcome to worship and serve and engage and lead at all levels of the church, whether you identify as LGBTQ or straight, whether you hold a more affirming theology of sexuality and marriage or a more traditional one. Our aim and our ache is to be a community where everyone is welcome and not simply welcome, but invited and needed and necessary. And in the absence of our LGBTQ siblings in Christ, we're lacking. We miss their voices and their witness to us of God's love and embrace. And for us to perpetuate exclusion is to put forward a vision of church that has more in keeping with the temple's walls of division than with Philip's message of good news. And unfortunately, there have been times where that's been our story, where we as a church and I as a pastor haven't always displayed with clarity the embracing nature of God's kingdom. Justin also shared testimonies Uh, that we heard from our LGBTQ siblings about the ways that they have experienced rejection and exclusion, including experiences they've had in the church in general and our church as well. What I've experienced from so many of those same LGBTQ saints is the very thing that they failed to receive from the church. Love, welcome, forgiveness, embrace. They've showed me a picture of the gospel of Christ and it has produced in me awe 
stirring my affections for Jesus and for his inbreaking kingdom. In the Ethiopian eunuch story, what we find is a kingdom that is expanding and is characterized by embrace and inclusion. The next stories uh, and the next characters that I want to lift up come from Acts 16. And for these, I want to take them all together because they're stories. They intertwine each other in the narrative. One of the first characters that we encounter in Acts 16 is a woman named Lydia. Luke describes Lydia as a worshiper of God and a dealer in purple cloth. Now, it says in verse 14, one of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God. Uh, the, the Lord uh, opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. Uh, it is uh, the description of her vocation that gives us an indication into Lydia's economic situation. Lydia dealt in purple cloth, which was made from dye from the ink sacks of tiny mollusks, and it was incredibly expensive. And what Luke is trying to communicate is that Lydia, she was a wealthy woman. Um, also, it may be assumed that Lydia was a Gentile, similar to the Ethiopian in Acts 8. Though the evidence is a bit inconclusive, it It is unlikely that Lydia was her proper name, but rather refers to her hometown, and in this case, a town in the Asia Minor region of Thyatira, which was called Lydia. In verse 14, Lydia isn't identified as a Jew, but rather she's identified as a proselyte uh, to Judaism by the reference that Luke makes in calling her a worshiper of God, which is how the New Testament refers to Gentiles who had converted or in the process of converting to Judaism. The stories in Acts 16, they take place in the Roman city of Philippi. And although there's a Jewish community in Philippi, there isn't an indication that Lydia was a part of that community, increasing the likelihood that she's a Gentile convert. Lydia welcomes Paul and his fellow missionaries. She believes the message of Christ that they preach. And her entire household is led to faith and is baptized. Again, in uh, chapter 16, verses 14, the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And when she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. This instance, this encounter with Lydia, it actually sparks a movement of God's spirit through the city of Philippi. Churches spring up. Years later, Paul would write a letter to those churches in Philippi. Churches that have as their foremother, Lydia, a wealthy Gentile businesswoman. Lydia was the catalyst for the expansion of God's kingdom in that place. Whereas the Ethiopian experienced the inclusion of God, Lydia experiences the commissioning of God. Her baptism becomes her commissioning to see the gospel spread in her place. The next person that shows up in Acts 16 uh, is a young girl who is enslaved. Luke mentions that the girl has a demonic spirit in her and it allows her to predict the future. But because she's enslaved, her owners are able to profit from her. Luke states in Acts 16, She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl sees Paul and the missionaries in town. She begins to to follow them around, and she starts shouting at them, telling the town, "These these men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. Just paint the picture for a minute. Young girl following the missionaries around, shouting them. Shouting at them. She does this day after day. And it may be sort of a weird thing to be shouting, but it's Luke's story. It's not mine. And this shouting and stalking day after day during the missionary stay in Philippi, it begins to grate on Paul, who then becomes annoyed. And in his annoyed frustration, he casts the demon out of the girl, thereby freeing her from the spiritual and physical slavery which she'd been in bondage. Some 
Exorcisms come by way of prayer and fasting, others by frustration and anger, but however it is, the spirit moves. And so this miraculous healing, however, it's not well received by the girl's owners because they, so they have Paul and Silas brought before the authorities and the authorities then have these two uh, beaten and tossed into jail. It's here that another character is introduced to the story. While in prison, Paul and Silas continued to testify to the good news of Jesus and further miracles follow. And this time it isn't an exorcism of a demon-possessed girl, but an earthquake of such force that the doors of the jail are opened, providing a path to freedom for the two disciples. However, rather than flee, they remain in the jail, knowing that their escape would mean a death sentence for their jailer. This act of compassion on the part of these followers of Jesus, it touches the jailer who then promptly places his faith in Jesus and his household likewise are baptized and they begin following Jesus. Verse 32, then they spoke the word of the Lord to him, to the jailer, and to all others in his house. And that hour of the night, the jailer took them and washed their wounds. And then immediately he and all his household were baptized. The jailer brought them into his house and set a meal before them. He was filled with joy because he had come to believe in God, he and his whole household. When, when taken in tandem with the story of the eunuch in Acts 8 and then Lydia, the enslaved girl, and the Roman jailer in Acts 16, we're able to see this expansive and brilliant vista of God's kingdom that is beginning to emerge. Where Lydia is seen as representing wealth and influence. She's a self-made woman able to dictate her own future, yet she finds deeper purpose, a deeper commissioning in her participation in the advancement of God's kingdom. She's juxtaposed with a girl who is enslaved, the opposite of Lydia's state and status. The girl is trapped in a system that values profits over people, and yet through the power of the Holy Spirit, she finds freedom. Then the Roman jailer, on the edge of taking his own life because of the laws of the empire, he yet finds rescue and salvation. And these three stories become the seedbed for the Philippian church. And when wrapped with the story of the eunuch in Acts 8, we find a church whose origin stories are anchored in people that would have been identified as those excluded from inclusion in God's kingdom. Gentiles, all of them, differently gendered ethnically different, politically different, demon-possessed, soldiers in the empire, jailers even, the very ones who imprisoned the people of God. And yet when introduced to Jesus, the Ethiopian finds inclusion. The enslaved girl finds liberation. Lydia lives into her commissioning and the jailer receives salvation. They become the heroes and heroines of the story of God. Christ City, in just a few weeks, we're going to celebrate seven years as a worshiping community, seven years as a church. My prayer is that as we move into our next seven, that we will be marked by these same kingdom qualities, that we are a community that displays the expansive nature of God's kingdom, an expanse marked by inclusion and liberation, by gospel commission and salvation, and in response, we will together shake our heads in awe and wonder and whisper yes in affirmation of the splendor of God on display in our midst to the glory of God, to a king and a kingdom. Amen. Let me pray for us. God, we do pray for your kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We pray for it to come in our place and in our lifetime and in our neighborhoods, God. God, I pray that it would carry and bear these marks. That it would be your people 
that we would be a community that you would look upon and, and recognize if you were to join us. That you would find us. Being people of, of welcome, and of embrace, of liberation, of mission. And we'd be a people of salvation. For your glory.